Hey everyone, welcome back to another week of Antidote Stories in Medicine. This is your host, Christine. I am so happy to have you guys back. And one of the cool things about podcasting that I never expected, there's a lot of things I never expected because I kind of just decided to do this very randomly, uh, but people reach out to me and they just decide that they want to tell me about what they do. And I think that's so cool. And it's just really flattering that people want to tell me their stories. But also, we tend as just human beings to hang out and talk to people that are within our circles and within our own breadth of knowledge. So of course, having worked in EMS, I know a lot about emergency medicine and now working in primary care. I know a little bit about that. But people have been reaching out from all over the world and with all these different specialties of medicine. And it's been really just fascinating to learn about things that I never knew existed or knew existed, but not in the depth that people get to talk to me about them. So I'm always really excited to share them with you because I just like learning new things, especially about a profession that has so many intricacies. So I got this email a couple weeks ago and I was pretty floored by it. And I read it to James, who, if you have not heard our CO episode, go listen to that and you will clearly understand how little he knows about medicine. Um, but So this is from Tessa. It says, I am a school nurse. I oversee preschool through age 21 public education. I probably have a few funny stories, but ultimately, I don't know that the general public knows what we do. Today, for example, while trying to find donations of fruit for National Healthy Food Week, I had to convince a student with ASD, autism spectrum disorder, that he most likely did not contract TB at school, plus wrapping sprained wrists, curling iron burns, self-inflicted burns from air compressors, daily meds, anxiety check-ins, create new AED protocols, find policy for possibly soon-to-be-mandated Narcan, manage diabetes via text, high schoolers don't come in to the health room, drug impairment checks, why the hell does this kid have nystagmus, why was he locked in the bathroom with another male? Which way do I go with this convo? Student lifted two heavy weights, dropped bar on chest, now cannot lift arms, and wants to drive to next class, which is off campus. No, son, you are going to the doctor, and here is my Boy Scout sling out of a triangle banded because of budgets. Happy Tuesday. Also, joined Healthy Community Coalition because how do you not have a medical professional on the community? Phew. Basically, <laughs> I love your podcast and interested in sharing about school nurses because everyone thinks we just hand out ice packs and band-aids. Sincerely, Tessa, BSNRN. And I was, oh my gosh, I am exhausted from reading that email. And James was like, what the hell is all those things? <laughs> so here to tell us about maybe some of that, maybe a lot more is Tessa. Hi, Tessa. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you after that Tuesday? Oh my gosh, that Tuesday. That was uh, not an abnormal Tuesday, but maybe a little bit more. <laughs> it's super fun being a school nurse. And I just feel like I wish everyone knew how awesome of a job it was and uh, how rewarding uh, it actually can be. So I actually did. Even though it's chaotic. <laughs> it's chaotic. Well, I think I think all of nursing is chaotic uh -huh. in its own individual way. And I think that's why we get drawn to it. Any kind of medicine, I should say. But I actually did a rotation in school. I don't remember which school, but for like a community health or something, they had us do 
school nursing shadowing. And I was amazed at all of the stuff the school nurse does. These school nurses were NPs, but working as school nurses, I'm not sure exactly why their credentialing was like that. But it's really insane the amount of work you guys do. You are the healthcare professionals for the school for and for the school district. You're it. So how did you get into it? So I actually, my um, my first profession as a nurse, I was I worked in a private orthopedic operating room and scrubbed surgeries and had all the technology and an anesthesiologist doctor right there. And when I was in my uh, bachelor's of nursing program, I was like, oh, public health. I I actually like awake patients and collaborating with people. And so I started subbing because our um, office wasn't very busy at that time. And I was like, oh, I love this. I love having patients <laughs> stuck with me six hours a day. And I really like kids. And so the opportunity arose and, and a school nurse position opened up and I just took it. <laughs> and so how long have you been a nurse now? Um, I have been a nurse for 12 years and five years of it has been in school nursing. Wow. So you must really love it to just stay with it. And has it all been at the same school? Um, it's been in the same district and I've floated around different schools based on how many nurses we have funded for the year. So how many nurses do you guys have now? We currently have three and we have 3,500 students ranging from preschool to the transition program of tw- at 21. Wow. That's three nurses for 3,500 people. And I mean, kids need a lot of care and tell me about your district. Is it a well-to-do district? Is it lower socioeconomic status? What is kind of the breadth of the care that they're they're needing? Uh, so we would be, uh, we are kind of a rural district and we have a high migrant population and low socioeconomic. I think we're about 47 to 56% free and reduced lunch. And we have a pretty high homeless uh, population. Our city has a couple of the only homes for um, unattended minors. So um, I think we are a high needs area, but at the same time, we're, you know, an hour from a major city and we have access to EMS, you know, within four minutes. So where there's rural places that like don't have access for like 20 minutes for an EMS response, we at least have those supports close by, but still not super wealthy. (laughs) So I'm going to imagine that there's not a ton of primary care and pediatric, ped- like pediatricians. So a lot of people are getting a lot of health from you as far as in the school. Yeah. So we have, we do have a uh, primary care, but not a lot and not a lot of specialty. So any of our mm. really complex cases have to go either um, an hour through, I mean, an hour is, is great. Like if you're going in the middle of the night and there's no traffic. Right. To any of the specialty, there's a few. There's some primary care physicians, but not a lot of like walking clinics, right? Focused on pediatric care. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many things to talk about. Where do you want to start with this? What has been some of the biggest challenges that you've had over the last couple of years caring for kids as they grow up? Um, some of the biggest challenges was. Well, I'll say one of the things that is super rewarding, but also a challenge is parents will come to me, their students coming back to school. They got all this discharge paperwork. Mm -hmm. When you're being discharged from the hospital or from an operation or from a big diagnosis, you don't hear everything that's being said. Right. (laughs) 
And yeah. so often they they come to me and they're like, here's all the things that the doctor and nurse gave to me. And now my kid's supposed to go to school here. How do we do this? Yeah. And fortunately, I love patient education and I'm sitting there educating both a student and a family and, you know, with attendance laws because they're supposed to be in school. So just setting up the environment at school and also just post-op care. Like they're like, well, how long do I have to take this antibiotic for? And oh my gosh, it's making my stomach upset. And just kind of like being a personal nurse and helping them just navigate through that. And it's, it's really hard. We have laws that you have to have an EpiPen at school or you can't be at school. And some people are like, I can't even get an appointment for two months. Mm. And getting them community resources and connected and how do we make this work. This is really just navigating healthcare and then navigating the education system within that. So you have to be a master of both school and the healthcare system. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, uh, like the other day, we had a student who was homeless, been ill, Probably totally could have been at school, but I'm like, they're being rehomed. I'm excusing his five-day absences. I was like, and I'm going to call him health-related. And fortunately, I have an admin who is like, thank you for your advocacy. Yeah. Because I was like, you know what? Yeah. His illness isn't a communicable disease that I have to exclude him, but his situation is, requires more attention. And you know what? He can't make it to school right now. And that's okay. And sometimes (laughs) mental health requires you to be home so that you can focus on the rest of your health. And right. being well, a kid and is... you don't even have a home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, How are you getting healthy? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I mean, being a kid is hard enough just to have feel like the school system is against you. So to have right. the, the nurse kind of on your side. I mean, I think also the school nurse is the first example of healthcare that a lot of kids get. And so... Mm-hmm you have a really important role as being a positive influence in their life. I mean, I always remember the school nurse is kind of like the comfort place to go in school. And, and like, she was the nice one amongst like some, maybe some mean teachers or something. And so I think it sets up a lot of people to have really positive interactions with the medical community and understanding that there's compassionate adults out there that can be really good mentors. Yeah. I just sent out an email to my staff just saying, hey, we have a lot of flu. It's runt of flu season. Like, let's eliminate the rest breaks in the health room. And I still have teachers call me and they're like, so-and-so really just needs someone to talk to. Can they come down? And I'm like, I'll find a different spot for them. But yeah, I got kids rotating in here with fevers of 102. Yeah. So meeting the needs of a student, I say my job would be so easy if kids were fed, well rested and just came to school ready to learn. But that's just not the reality for many of them. And if someone can just hear that and understand that, I feel like some of our kids will just be a bit more successful that day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you're supported well by the teachers and the administrators? I do. Yeah. I I feel like they value what uh, we have to say. Um, I think our district is still, we used to have much less nursing. And so, so they're still trying to figure out how we work in different processes. And, and I'm a, I'm a pretty loud voice. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like, 
hey, just so you know, I've been trained in, you know, suicide prevention and social media, uh, how that interferes and what you should be looking for in your kids' social media that would be of a concern. And you sent me to a threat assessment. So how about you invite me to that meeting? Right. And most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, we just didn't even think about it. Yeah, we didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Before we started recording, you were talking about a couple of things that you are very passionate about. And one of them Mm -hmm. that I found really interesting was intoxication assessments to see if someone's been using. So tell me what the role is for that. I mean, are you trying to get kids in trouble? Are you just trying to make sure that they're safe? (laughs) How are you doing this? Are you, are you narking on the kids? Oh my God, I sound like I'm from the nineties. What's your role? So my role is, and I tell the kids before I do it, you know, so I come at it like, I need to make sure you're safe. You were somewhere you weren't supposed to be. You were skipping. We smell something. Drugs have an impact on our body. And I just want to make sure that you are okay. And so um, I was trained through our state patrol to do the the field sobriety test, basically. Um, I can even do a little bit more with blood pressure, pulse, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I assess them based on, you know, a protocol. There's a protocol. And generally, when there's discipline involved, I walk out. Like, I'm not here to be the disciplinarian, but... You can't be getting high at school. You, you shouldn't be getting high in general. And I do have kids that come back and talk to me about their drug use or why. And often I do find that kids are doing it to deal with anxiety yeah, or to deal with a depression that's not treated. And when we have kids, you know, I educate kids that if you're over the age of 13, you have the right to that mental health support with or without your parents. And let me help you do that. And, you know, just have some real life conversations. We have had people in our community die from overdose of really of Xanax that's laced with fentanyl. Yeah. I just want, I want to make sure that they are getting support and try to get to the root of it. Yes, they get in trouble, but we always make sure that we know that we are doing it to get to the root of it. And also we understand kids will experiment. I know I was called one day to go assess a student and I had to drive from one of my other schools. And I looked at the student and I was like, no, you didn't. I was like, why are you in here? (laughs) I was a student I knew really well. Please tell me you were not doing this thing at school. And the student was like, no, Nurse Tessa. And plus, we know that if we were, we don't come to you because you always know when we're high. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm going to go through my assessment. And I really hope it's negative. And And it was. And I was really grateful. But I did continue that conversation with the student just about, like, what are some supports? This is obviously a concern with adults around you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And so just opening those doors and being like, I'm going to be real. We learn a lot about therapeutic communication in nursing. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I love to use that. But at the same time, teenagers have the best BS meters ever. Oh, yeah. So I kind of, you know, my communication style, I want them to know that I'm there to support them. And I understand and that they can come and talk to me. So while it feels like, oh, this feels like the things I see the police do on TV, I want them to feel more comfortable. Do you find that after you have done this assessment and you get someone that is intoxicated and it's positive and they get in trouble for it, do you find that that intervention leads to them having better mental health care and less drug use? Does that get them help or do these people continue to use substances? Well, we do refer and they have to see a substance abuse counselor Mm -hmm. to return to school. So 
Whether that works or not, um, not sure. I don't always get great follow-up, but uh, I do see them and touch base and just let them know that, hey, I'm so glad to see you here at school because that generally means that they have followed through Mm -hmm. with the required counseling. Do they track that at all? Like, Do they track like the number of um, assessments you've done on a student and how many times they've been interacted with. Is there like any study of it in your district? Uh, there's not. Maybe I'll do that. I think that would be, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just throwing things out there because yeah. of course you don't have enough things to do, but like I would just, <laughs> I would love to see like, does this intervention lead to less drug use Yeah. or does it get people into therapy or yeah. not or we just, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to put that on my to-do list. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> As I just suggest things. (laughs) I mean, there's so many other things that you're doing throughout the day. You were talking Mm -hmm. about measles too. Yeah. The measles epidemic is big where you are. Um, And Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I had someone that had had been exposed to mumps yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is what we do. We give you the booster of MMR and... Mm -hmm. And I had worked up someone for measles, like not too long ago. Ended up being syphilis. That's a different story. Ooh. But yeah, um, <laughs> the rashes look a little similar. But oh my gosh, I hate rashes! Yay, rashes! <laughs> so tell me what you guys are doing for measles, and is there problems with vaccination rates where you are? How are you handling it? Uh, yeah, there's definitely some. I let's not say problem with vaccination rates, but there's. We have some low uh, rates of vaccination. And right now, we even currently in legislature have a bill that's in Senate to remove the, we have the option for personal exemption in our state. Mm. So parents can just sign and say, nope, I'm not giving it. And so right now they're um, trying to take that away. So I've had some conversations with my families. And I think if you want to have a vaccination conversation with a family that does not want to vaccinate, you really have to have trust. Yeah. And so I've worked with my families um, having conversations and sometimes, you know, recognizing that some people do believe in more of a naturopathic medicine and there are ways to support them with those options, but you really have to build trust with them in saying, okay, I I get that you're going to treat to a point with natural medicine, but now I'm recommending that you really do need to see a doctor and antibiotics are probably needed. So just building that conversation of trust that I do understand where they're coming from and then putting on my public health nurse, because as a full nurse, you really do a lot of individual care, but your role is ultimately overall public health. Right. So I had a wonderful nurse practitioner just yesterday come in. We were talking about this and he was like, you know, it's not a science concern why people don't vaccinate. It's a heart concern. Mm. It's a passion that they have. And it doesn't matter how much scientific base you put in front of them. It's ultimately a, they believe this is what is for the well-being of their child. And so schools are kind of put in a hard place because we have to send an exclusion letter. We are like the bottom line. We're like, nope, can't come to school because you aren't up to date or you're not going to be in school for three weeks because we had a measles outbreak. And that doesn't feel supportive to many parents. And so I really am just, unfortunately, we haven't had any exclusions um, in our district at this time, but I think it's important to build the relationship to support our families. So when hard things come up, they feel like it's coming from a supportive place. Does that sound too fluffy? No, I think you have to be a little bit fluffy when you're dealing with something like this, because you're right, throwing hard facts at people isn't, isn't helping. I mean, 
if hard facts were the reason, they would be vaccinating, right? Like that's right. why we're vaccinating. And uh-huh. I have this conversation all the time with people. I mean, I work with adults and so it's a little bit different. I mean, the other day, as again, I was giving someone travel vaccines and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you need hepatitis A, you need typhoid, you need tetanus and you need the flu. And they're like, oh no, I don't want the flu vaccine. And I'm like, of <laughs> all of these vaccines, you don't want the flu. Why? And they're like, I'm really nervous about that one. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, it can give you the flu. And I was like, do you think the tetanus vaccine is going to give you tetanus? And he goes, <laughs> no. And I go, neither of those are live vaccines. Like, they're not going to give you the flu and it's not going to give you tetanus. And he goes, oh, I didn't think about it like that. <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of dig a little bit in. I can't just like spew at him like the flu vaccine is fine. You have to kind of dig a little bit into why people are apprehensive right. about things and allay their fears. And as soon as I was like, you don't think about that with the Tdap. And he was like, oh, yeah, no. And then he was totally OK with it. But it's just it's really difficult. And so what reasons are people giving you when they say, I don't want to have MMR or whatever? Is it still the autism risk? It's that or just toxins in general. Mm -hmm. Just, I don't want to put toxic things in their body, you know, mercury, preservatives. And I'm like, hey, you can get preservative free. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I encourage families. I mean, I'm like, did you know? And a lot of them don't know. And they were like, oh, okay. I'm like, ask your doctor about it. Yeah. Or talk to them about an alternative schedule. You know, if you don't feel like you want your kid to get stabbed a bunch of times all at once, talk about an alternative schedule. Yeah. Now as for recording and recording for uh, alternative schedules, I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like, when are they supposed to get it? Anyways, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. You know what? Right. (laughs) Sometimes we make compromises. Yes. Again, people have a right to their own opinions and Mm -hmm. our job is to help them make the best decisions with things that they are comfortable with. But people are constantly saying, well, I don't want to take these medications, but I'm going to take all of these homeopathic medications. And Mm -hmm. my line with that is, if it's strong enough to help you, it's strong enough to hurt you, right? So if it's homeopathic, it can still do you harm. So you're getting something that has not been tested. We don't know the purity of it versus something Mm -hmm. that I give you that has been tested by the FDA for purity and safety. And I'm giving it to you in controlled doses that I have spent years and years studying. And I have board certifications saying that I'm allowed to prescribe it versus Mm -hmm. the poison ivy toxin that you've been putting under your tongue and now you're having an allergic reaction to, that's different. It may help you, but it also can hurt you and we don't know why and we don't know what's doing to your body versus the antibiotics that I'm giving you for the sinus infection. Yeah, you have to weigh your risk for everything and it's a very complicated conversation and it's, yeah, it's hard. So, (laughs) yeah. I'll take it on though. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our job. That's what we have to do. We have to get creative in our support, but also trying to provide the best education. Right. Well, and I think it also is, so people look at me as the school perspective. The school is telling me I have to do this. And so that is definitely takes some education too. Right. That you're the big bad guy with the administration. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So what has been some of your most rewarding cases that you've dealt with that you've like, you know, I've really been able to help a child through a difficult time? Mm-hmm. I'll, um, I'll say a general one. One of the really rewarding programs I work with is our nurse family partnership. 
So we have community nurses that work with first-time pregnant moms, and uh, they follow them through through the pregnancy up to, and I, I should have looked this up, it's either three years or five years old. Wow. And so they get a personal nurse that follows them and helps them. If they're in school, you know, we can meet them at school. They can meet them in the community. They're not a part of the school, but it's we, we work closely in the referral process. And that has been very rewarding to see because eventually the kids aren't coming to school or they're only checking in once a week because they have to be moms. And so these are like pregnant teenagers. Yeah, these are pregnant teenagers. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And so I know that if they've been referred and accepted into this quote unquote program, that they have a nurse that's following them and checking in with them and teaching them all the healthy things. And it's just a great program. I think that's one of the most uh, rewarding for me to see. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a great, like, I hope the funding for that never goes away. I think uh, labor and delivery and, and babies was not my forte. So I'm super <laughs> happy that there is another nurse that is. Oh, God, it's not mine either. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. come in for like, I need to confirm a home pregnancy test. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, you know, <laughs> don't eat sushi or soft <laughs> cheeses and don't clean. No lunch meat. Yeah, and avoid cat litter and congratulations. Here we go. I'm like it's not my thing, but end of life care and like trauma, like yay, that's totally my thing. But yeah, yes, I, I'm like, please give me a broken bone. Yeah, yeah. I, I would want one of those nurses to follow me till my child is five when I have one because I don't know anything about right that stuff. No, think it's just not my thing. I preferred the other end of the life spectrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's that's incredible because that's so scary. So scary, and I I personally know that. <laughs> so, uh, which is is it's yeah, it's a passion of mine. My other kind of passionate thing, just this year, we've been working on um, our students with diabetes. Like that is so scary, and this is my first year in the high school with having some graduates. Um, so graduating from high school, they have diabetes, mm-hmm. getting ready to go off to college, that transition care, and I found some really great technology resources. Um, like I mentioned in my story, they don't want to come to the health room yeah. for a blood sugar check that they've been doing for 13 years. So we have an app we use that just communicates with me and the parents and sends their info. And if something's wonky, I tell them, I'm like, hey, will you come see me? And then problem solve it. So giving them that independence, but also, you know, I always kind of approach it and I was like, I don't have diabetes. So help me understand how your day looks and your story <laughs> looks. And this helps me see it. And so I think diabetic care is something that I've really grown in in the last five years. And with adolescents, it's just like I tell them, come in and tell me how much you hate it today. (laughs) Sometimes they're like, this is so stupid. I hate it. I don't want to poke myself one more time. Yeah, yeah. And I had a, a student just yesterday just hug me and just be like, thank you for respecting my privacy and helping me get through this just really came to a point where they're like, I just realized I was sick. Mm. Like they've had it for a few years, but it all of a sudden hit them. They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm sick. And so just helping them process through that. And that's one thing I love about school nursing. They're there five days a week, six hours a day. So 
I can easily say, great, let's think about this. Let's do this. Let me follow up with you by Friday and see how you're doing. Yeah. You know, I don't have to make an appointment three months, six months. I don't know if you heard the Rich and Mira episode where they were just talking about parenting a teenager with diabetes and it's, it's just a constant thing. It's not a, you get an infection and then it goes away or, right. you know, you have high blood pressure and sure you take a pill and you should check it, you know, once a day. It's every second it can change. Right. I, I imagine, again, I don't have diabetes and nor do I have children. <laughs> I have a very nice dog. But having a child, especially a teenager with diabetes, where are they mad at me or is this their sugar going crazy? <laughs> is this hormones right. or is this hypoglycemia? Right. Having a nurse there that you can trust that you know is checking in on your child must be so comforting. Mm-hmm. And then having this app is is another asset. Do a lot of the kids have their own glucometers? Do they have the insulin pumps? Are you managing all this stuff or the um, continuous blood sugar monitors? What are you seeing with your patients? Well, they have a little bit of everything. It depends on their preference. Um, I've seen a lot that are in high school that have gone away from the pump and the CGMs and are just using the pen. And it varies some. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they'll walk in and you're like, Hey, so I see that none of your blood sugars are being monitored on your CGM. Are you wearing it today? And they're like, no, I don't want to wear it today. Oh, okay. They, you know, they have that right. Yeah. And the funny thing about school nursing, I'm kind of transitioning to a different topic, is like, I don't have all the tools. Yes, they all have to have all of their own glucometers, strips, poking devices. We don't provide any of that. Where I work, we don't have a doctor who works in our district to oversee see any medical protocols. Mm -hmm. So they have to have all their stuff. And like, I went from a situation where I had all the bells and whistles and monitors and they're like, here's a blood pressure cuff and a stethoscope. Be a great nurse. Mm. (laughs) So how can can you check a sugar if you, if someone doesn't have their own glucometer? Like what do you do in an emergency? No, no, I can't. Oh, okay. So you would, which is crazy. Okay. That seems so crippling. I would, yeah, I would treat it most most often like a low, but which again is why I like to see their trends because we can, you know, not you can never anticipate, but it's like call their parents and often I tell the kids like if you realize you've forgotten something, come to my office and let's call your parents to get it. Mm-hmm. Technically, law says if you don't have your life-saving devices, you sh- you can't be at school. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, that gets difficult, but that is also where I work well. I'm going to transition to your your uh, area of expertise. <laughs> I work with our EMS really closely. I was going to say, yeah, uh, because you know, I I've sometimes had kids where I'm like, if I literally had a glucometer or an EKG machine, I wouldn't have to call you. Yeah, but I don't, and so that is one of my professional goals this year is to just develop more relationship with our EMS. I know most of them personally. Uh, a lot of them are friends, and so we we problem solve some stuff. And yeah, you know, I had a parent that was like, "What do you mean you don't have a nebulizer at school?" And I was like, "So." nebulizers are individual use and I don't have a doctor to give me orders. So yes, I'm going to have to call EMS because you're far away. And I really feel like the student needs treatment right now and the inhaler isn't working. Yeah. And I just have to reiterate with them. They can get really mad at me and I'm like, it's not going to cost you anything. It's not. Yeah. So does EMS kind of treat and release to you or do they transport? How does that work for your protocols? Ah, (laughs) that it. 
Oh, yeah. Because I'm thinking about EMS protocols because EMS would have to transport usually or do they, I mean, EMS can treat and release with parent consent. Right. And right. <laughs> you're we, a higher level of care though, technically, even though they have all the bells and whistles. I know, right? And they will totally play to my ego with that too sometimes. They're like, well, Tessa, you know that you, and I'm like, stop, I have to wait for the parent to get here. We generally wait for the parent to get there and then release <laughs> to the parent. <laughs> yeah, but it, that is definitely a point of contention and it is hard. And, you know, when I hear them getting other calls and I'm like, okay, the lungs are clear. I haven't had this situation, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a hypoth- hypothetical. Right. Like lungs are clear, parents on their way. Uh, they've just had a nebulizer treatment. Like, uh, do I feel like they're stable enough and will I sign the paper? And so I, I would probably sign the paper and then have parents sign my copy when they got there if, if the student was truly stable. So I'm going to just pause and explain for people that are not medical what this oh, yeah. whole issue is. So EMS operates under a set of standing protocols that are created by state and national protocols. So there's national protocols and then there's state-specific ones. Mm -hmm. And EMS has a medical director as well. There's like state medical directors. So for certain situations, EMS providers, based on their training level, whether they're basic life support or advanced life support, if a child is having an asthma attack, they can administer nebulizers or oxygen, and they have all this gear and they can do it. They can do EKGs, glucom. Like we can just do that. We don't need a doctor's order mm-hmm. because our protocols are these doctor's mm-hmm. orders for general things. Nurses mm-hmm. have to have specific doctor orders for patients. They don't generally have global orders for just acting on mm-hmm. things unless you exist in a certain department. So like in an ER, nurses may have global orders to just start IVs on patients in triage or order Mm -hmm. certain x-rays, but that's based on their department. Their license and their job doesn't have this order to do that. As a nurse practitioner, I'm a provider. I write Mm -hmm. the orders so I can just do things. So EMS has global orders based under their protocols. The EMS can't just do whatever they want. It has to be within their protocols. But Mm -hmm. nurses are technically a higher level of care than EMS because of their license. But the protocol thing is different. So it's very confusing. And that's a very Mm -hmm. brief explanation of it for people that are not medical. So by you calling EMS, they can do more interventions than you can do in the school. But then again, they can release the patient technically back to you. However, because they're a minor, the patient can't make their own decisions as far as transport. Right. (laughs) Is that a synopsis of that very complicated? (laughs) Yes. And that's what it feels like sometimes, which is why I was like, I need to be best friends with EMS. So because, you know, there are points of contention sometimes like our protocol, because we don't have nurses in every building is like with EpiPens. If student is exposed to known allergen, they get EpiPen. I can't ask them to wait for symptoms of anaphylaxis. Mm. And EMS is like, why did they get an EpiPen? We're like, well, because we have to. Oh, God. And so is it it any allergen, even if they're not like an anaphylactic allergen? Um, No. They they would have to have, if if they have a order and a care plan for a known anaphylactic allergy and they get exposed to it, so let's say... And they're like, oh, my stomach hurts. I ate this granola bar that has a peanut in it. And our basic standard of care is then you get your EpiPen. Mm. It will be administered to you. Yeah. Okay. 
And EMS is like, what do you mean? They're not in respiratory distress. They're, and I'm like, I hear you. I know what you're saying. And we had a meeting with them and, and went over like, here is what our school nursing policy and practice says. And then they were like, oh, oh, so you're not just stabbing kids. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And it is nice when the nurse is there because I, you can do some more assessment. But when it's the secretary. Yeah. Yeah. They do it. It's hard. And that poor kid is now like all amped up on epinephrine and like, <laughs> let's go to math. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Then they have to go home. Yeah. And, no, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, I think it's really important that we work with our EMS and make sure that we're collaborating as a team. I mean, I have another story. I don't know if you want me to go with stories or keep going with things. No, but stories, great. Yeah. <laughs> we had this crazy windstorm that came out of nowhere. But our school is positioned between an interstate and then like a, another highway. And EMS is generally close. Well, we had power go out. Trees fall down that blocked our main interstate and our other highway, and it, like, gridlocked our town. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, we stayed in school. They didn't they didn't send it, the kids home. I mean, I don't know that you could have gotten home anyways. Um, and I get called to the gym for a kid who possibly broke his ankle. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> okay. So go get him. I'm like, we're, I'm monitoring this kid for shock. He's doing well. He's staying talking. Generally, it would be like, okay, can't bear weight, doesn't want to move. You're supposed to call 911. And I was like, uh, pretty confident. I mean, we had accidents everywhere that it's right. going to take EMS longer to get here than your parents. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so just, you know, stabilized him. And he did well, but like, I, I, knowing how EMS works and paying attention to what's going on outside our community, I was like, I could call, but there's no way they're going to get here that quick. It's not going to be a priority call. No. Now, if he went down with chest pain and was dizzy, I'd be calling, but ankle. It's so interesting, just the integration of nursing and, and EMS sometimes. And I, as you were talking, I had totally forgotten that this was a thing that I had done. So I got my EMT in high school. It was a part of our, mm -hmm. it was an elective that we had. And so this was a long, long time ago. And the guy that taught it was actually part of the fire department for one of the cities because mm -hmm. we had like a regional high school. And he had this basically student emergency response team for the high school mm -hmm. that were first responders and those that were 18 had gotten their EMT. And so as a first responder, you can do like first responder is like this pre EMT thing where you can like mm -hmm. administer oxygen and do certain stuff based on if you're working as like a fire department, like under these protocols. Yeah. And so because of the nurse protocols, they couldn't check blood sugars on just anyone or start oxygen just on anyone. Right. But the first responder students who were in the high school and the EMTs that were that were high school seniors could. Right. So we had an emergency response team of students that could do more than the student nurse for very specific things. And that's why they existed because they fell under the fire department for one of the cities. And it yeah. was like, it was really cool because I did it as a teenager, um, like as a mm -hmm. senior. But it was just wild to think about that that's a thing that, like, as an 18-year-old, be like, here, have some oxygen. I'm also a student. <laughs> like, But you were also yeah. kind of, like, volunteering, and you were bound by HIPAA and everything else. And people knew right. you were handpicked. Like, there was only, like, six of us, and, you know, that it was approved by the school. But 
it's really wild that a high school student versus someone that like, I think she had like a master's of nursing <laughs> and child right. development and stuff, but it was just really crazy. It is crazy. So what other programs, I mean, you're, you've mentioned so many things in that email. Well, so like right now I'm working on uh, getting flu clinics ready for next fall, coordinating those and having those available to our families and staff. Six months ahead of time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because That's how much planning it takes, right? Right. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of this flu season, but I'm thinking of next flu season. I help on, uh, we actually, for next year, we're having our first ever teen heart screening, which I'm super excited about because I mean, I have students who have heart conditions that can be life-threatening. Right. Those sudden death. I'm trying to think of the normal way to say it. The, I mean, I'm thinking I have like long QT and WPW. Yeah. Wolf Parkinson white and stuff, but yeah, there's, and I'm thinking of combinant cordis, which is when you get hit in the chest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for, again, the non-medical, right. there are kids that can have these cardiac abnormalities that they just grew up with and they don't know that they have it. And if they get hit in the chest at certain mm-hmm. times, they mm-hmm. can just drop, they go into cardiac arrest and they flatline. Right. Or mm-hmm. they go into, we call it ventricular fibrillation, which is the right. heart just like, I'm going to do what I want. And all the cells in the, the heart are just beating at their own. Yeah their own rhythm and it's not good. And it's so not getting anything anywhere it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, nope, nothing is coordinated. And so you have to start CPR immediately, get an AED, which is an automatic defibrillator, shock it back into a coordinated rhythm. And mm-hmm. this is a big push in schools in the last 10 years of getting these AEDs yeah. in there. So you're doing a heart screening for WPW and these conditions? Well, so it'll be for everything. So kids sign up to do it. We'll offer it during the school day and it goes part into the evening. And we actually have teamed up with a local hospital and fire department and they will be doing, uh, they do height, weight, blood pressure, EKGs. And if EKGs are abnormal, they actually bring in an echo machine and they have the cardiologists there. Wow. And then anything that comes out of that will be referred to their primary care physician because as an education system, we we cannot um, refer to an individual entity. So it, that information will be given to the primary care physician for follow-up. Um, also, if they've signed up to do that, they get uh, CPR trained. They kind of do that in the middle of their waiting time to go through the process. So I am super excited to be bringing that to our school. And I don't care if it only saves one kid. Like, it's worth it for one kid. Oh, my God. Yeah. If they find a cardiac abnormality. Absolutely. So I'm super yeah. excited. That's It's a huge coordination between um, a hospital entity, our school district, the local file, fire department, and EMS system. So that's like, I'm, I'm so excited for this. That's so cool for EMS to get involved with too. I think that's really rewarding for them to do more preventative community-based yeah. care too. Yeah. And it, it was so fun to have them. I went to one of our other school districts and saw it in action. And, you know, I saw like some of our volunteer EMTs were there doing blood pressures and just uh, lots of local faces. And yeah, it's preventative, which is what I love. <laughs> and that gets kids like excited about a career in medicine too, of like, hey, this is mm-hmm. what you can be doing. And, you know, there's more than just being a doctor. I feel like when you're in school, everyone's like, you should be a doctor. Or a lot of people are like, you could be a nurse, but <laughs> I know I was told this, like, you're too smart to be a nurse. Like, I, <laughs> I definitely got that. And, and it's like, oh, you can be smart and maybe you like nursing and these are all the cool things you can do with nursing or maybe you can be a paramedic or a firefighter. And these are all these really cool career options for kids as well as, hey, you should learn CPR, which 
everybody should learn CPR. I was mm-hmm. a CPR instructor for years and years and years until my I didn't do enough classes and it lapsed. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah. I, I taught CPR for the military civilian side. Yeah. Everyone should learn CPR. I mean, having done hundreds and hundreds of pre-hospital codes, like bystander CPR saves lives. Right. It does. So learn yeah. CPR. I had a student following awesome. me this week because um, she wants to be a nurse and her great hospital uh, opportunity to go follow a hospital nurse fell through. So I was her backup, which is fine. <laughs> and, but when I got to telling her and showing her everything I do, and that day I happened to be uh, working through my AED program mm-hmm. and going out to change some pads and I'm working on a protocol. She was like, oh my gosh, wait, you do all this? And I'm like, I was like, yes. And so we actually, as I was pulling all the like expired ones or, uh, off, I said, okay, I want you to pull this apart. I want you to see what it looks like. I want you to see what it feels like. Do you notice that that's one pad? You actually have to peel off two. There's a front and a back. It shows you where to put it. And she was like, oh my gosh, I would just, I wouldn't have even known. And I just, like, I encourage our kids, they come around, our PE classes do, and they know where the AEDs are. But like, if you've never touched the paddle, like the sticky pads in there. Yeah. And in a moment of crisis, like I would rather people be practicing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just even pulling pads off right. And sticking them in the right location. Yeah. Yeah, Sticking them in the right location. So I love doing education um, and helping kids, especially teens and younger kids, feel prepared for for something or know that they have an answer or even where to find the nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What is some of the biggest like misconceptions about health that you have found that like teenagers have? Oh, oh. Oh, oh gosh, I have a story. I don't know if I should tell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, a lot around sexual health. I mean, there's some misconceptions about that. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that's pretty, I have adults that are like that too. So, I mean. (laughs) Right. Well, I'll tell this because it really is, it's a good scientific question, but the way in which it was asked and where it was asked, I was like, uh, I had a student ask me as I was walking out to my car to go home for the day. Can pre-cum get me pregnant? <laughs> I was like, ah, uh, well, mm, yes. And let's have a conversation about this later. <laughs> I was like, if it was young, healthy, good count, I mean, yeah. 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 Yes. In my mind, I was like, don't be creeping up on me in the parking lot at three o'clock with questions like that. but you know what that's like such a testament to you that they trust you to ask that question right that's an important question it is an important question (laughs) but I was like I wasn't ready (laughs) I would like the pre-warning for this pre (laughs) (laughs) I'm like okay yes but again I have kids five days a week. They have to be at school. So guess what? I get the opportunity to follow up and have a conversation with, with them. Yeah. And even like, I think access, access to healthcare is total. Kids don't always get it. I had another one where a kid kind of knew me and, but he wanted to ask me an embarrassing question. And he said, well, I can't, I can't look, I can't look at you and ask you. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, so I'm going to have my friend come in here and we're going to talk about it. And then can you just let me know? And really the only, the he was like, I'm just going to make up names, obviously. Looks at his friend. He goes, hey, where can I get condoms? So from behind him, because he couldn't look at me, I was like, <laughs> so a pharmacy store, 
Planned Parenthood, you're 18, you you have access, you can you can get those things. And then he, he was like, thank you, never looking at me and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, you know, just those, yeah, access and knowing that they can get mental health services, you know, on their own and anything related to sexual health, um, they can get access to through different clinics and um, just letting them know where they can do that and be advocates. I always strongly encourage them to talk to their parents about it because I think that that is important to be able to communicate their their health needs with their families, but that's not always an option for every kid. Sure. Yeah. But it's, it's always an encouragement. I don't want um, our families to feel like I'm sneaky and going behind their backs. I do want it to be a collaborative effort, but it takes kids time to get there sometimes. Yeah. Helping them with that conversation. I mean, I've even had them be like, can you just call and tell my mom? And I'm like, no, (laughs) you do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, we've talked about so much stuff to like know about school nursing, but is there like one overarching thing that you wish the general public, general healthcare professionals knew about school nurses that we don't know? Um, well, I, I think this is this is somewhat nationally how big are the variance of access to a school nurse that schools have. Um, I'm going to kind of go to an overarching systems issue is that many nurses are simply paid for out of the basic education fund or from mm-hmm. levies or bonds, which makes it a burden on districts at times to even provide a nurse for their schools. And um, I know that uh, nationally there's some legislation that um, underprivileged schools there should be funding for um, school nurses uh, in their schools. Like separate from the education budget. Separate from the education budget. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Because I mean, if you have to choose, if you have a student increase and you have to hire three extra teachers, but your budget, you know, doesn't allow for those three extra teachers and you have to choose who to cut. Um, often it, I, it's the school nurse thicket, you know, oh, let's lessen the school nurse hours. Um and I think from East Coast to West Coast, it's a big variance. School nursing started in the East Coast. And I think that there's mm-hmm. definitely some more established nursing, like healthcare centers. I think that's also like understanding that school nurses do have to be always learning and developing skills. Like you never know what's going to walk in to your office. Yeah. And um, I think that definitely on a national level, we need to look at how we're supporting our kids with their mental health and wellness and prevention. I know that's a hot topic and school nurses are are at the forefront of being able to offer that to our students. Yeah. And and screening should be provided for that. Yeah. We shouldn't be having, making schools have to decide. Yeah, I agree. I think you fulfill so many needs for the community. And there's so much to be said for prevention that it's worth the money. But unfortunately, when you're forced to make a decision between, you know, a teacher and a nurse, something that may prevent something versus, you know, getting test scores up is a hard call for administrators, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and you have to educate the students, which which means you have to have a teacher for them, which means you have to have a classroom. So, yes. So um, we have, funny story, we have health service classes, which are awesome. They're kids that are interested in in healthcare and all sorts of realms. And we had um, hospice always comes in and talks. Oh, that's with great. With the students. It is so great. And 
I think it was last year, they had a surprise for us. Oh, no. Um, and I, I don't, right? I don't, t- <laughs> it was not a body. It was not a body. <laughs> That's um, where my mind went. <laughs> I, I knew that that was probably where your mind went. But even better, they brought in their therapy camel. <gasps> what? <laughs> yes, they brought in a therapy camel. And it also, which was amazing, and we got to learn about that. And um, I, I totally love animals and I have, animals for therapy. I totally like, have the Andy from Parks and Rec face on right now. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> so our principal. So there was no asking of permission for this to happen. I mean, it's a service um, animal. No one, <laughs> I write, and no one was aware of this happening. And our principal happened to be gone that day. <laughs> those se- sneaky hospice nurses. <laughs> those sneaky hospice nurses. So the camel took an adventure and went to the principal's office. Um, and they brought the camel in into his office. <laughs> and it sat in his office. And they, we, they sent pictures of it. <laughs> I don't know. I just... Funny. That's fantastic. <laughs> We brought a hospice camel into the principal's office. I have so many questions about this hospice camel. Like, why a camel? Oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> Did she just love camel? I don't know. I mean, sure. I think there's, like, it, no idea. One hump or two. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. I don't remember. I'll have to pull up the video. Okay. I have you a have, video. It being walked through the office. If you have a picture, I would like to see it because. Okay. This. <laughs> I have so many questions about this. That right, you know, that's great. <laughs> you know, if I was on hospice, give me all the morphine and give me all the camels. I think that would be great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it had this cute little tassel um, bridle, and <laughs> no, it was glorious. The kids must have loved that. <laughs> I just like, why would you not get in healthcare? Yeah. Oh, I would be so disappointed though. It'd be like, I went to eight years of school. They promised me camels. There have been no camels thus far. Like what has happened? <laughs> uh, no. All these student um, loans so for nothing. <laughs> right. Where is my camel? Where's my camel? <laughs> so I'll end on that fun note. That, okay. That was a good one. That was probably, that was a great story. <laughs> Yes. You never know what you're going to get in school nursing. (laughs) No, you never know. You were right. You You never never know know. what's going to walk through that door. (laughs) So true. It's so true. I'm like, is there a, one of our other funny stories that a counselor and I have is we always say, at least it's not a cat in a bag because we had a kid (laughs) who brought a cat in in their backpack to school. So. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, you can't have the cat at school. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. At least it wasn't a camel yeah. or a reptile. Yeah. It, right. Oh, that's happened too. But you know, you know how like movies, they say don't work with kids and animals. Mm. We do. <laughs> well, if you want an exciting job, uh, go be a school nurse. <laughs> Amen. It's so rewarding. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday morning to come and talk to me about the amazing stuff you do for your community. It's been so much fun. Yes. Thank you, Christine, so much for having me. I've just, I've loved listening to your podcast and you just uh, kind of have this inspiring uh, tone and voice (laughs) for people to open up their stories about what they do. And um, I was just like, man, I never hear from school nurses. So I just, 
took a stab at it. Yeah, I'm so excited because when you emailed me, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about this. So that's great. So thank you so much. Um, Is there anything you want to plug? Anything in particular you want people to head on over to or no? Just, I think if I could plug anything, it would be just following the, so is it Senator Johnson did the uh, Nurses for Under-Resourced Schools Everywhere Act is in Congress. So tell your legislators. Tell Tell your legislators to pass it to our kids yep. need it. Our communities need it. <laughs> yep. I will share that on our social media when I have a moment. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Check us out on social media, which I will try to be better and more diligent about. The Twitter is antidotes pod. My Twitter is Christine, the NP Instagram is antidotes podcast. Facebook group is Antidote Stories in Medicine group. And you can always send me an email. Uh, some people do send me emails and I love hearing from you. I do respond. Uh, it's antidotespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, please leave reviews. Please share the podcast. It means so much to me. Tell your friends um, because maybe they'll come on the podcast and share their great stories or maybe you will. It's, it's really wonderful. And again, thank you as always to our amazing Peter Hopkins for the great custom music. And I will see you all next week. Have a good one. Bye.